0: And while you're doing that, I might say that outside of the members of our own staff at uh, Berean Bible Society, can you all get me okay? There's a little low. Can you hear me back there? Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, Outside of the members of our own staff at Berean Bible Society, I'm sure there is nobody who was so close to Mrs. Tham and me as Brother... Uh, Wynne Johnson. He's been in our home so often and we had the most delightful fellowship. We'd come home from board meetings in Grand Rapids anywhere from 2.30 to 4 o'clock in the morning, wouldn't we, Brother uh, Johnson? And somehow that woman would hear us. (laughs) We'd tiptoe in was sure she couldn't hear it. There she'd be. And she'd make us hot chocolate so we could sleep better. And I don't know how well you know Winn Johnson, but he tried to kind of undercut me once in a while, too. One time, he just a little electrical thing he thought he should fix, and he said to Mrs. Stamm, doesn't Neil ever do anything like this? And she said, well, he's more on the spiritual side. <laughs> and I don't know whether... Whether he's been trying to get back at me or what, why I should get this subject, this part of Ephesians 5, which has been a battleground for so many years, even centuries of time, especially as to the bride of Christ. <laughs> Who's the bride of Christ? But here I have it, so I'm going to do the best I can with you, and I hope you'll be very, very sympathetic. <laughs> I was talking to Matsar Sulenrock the other day, and uh, he said something that I think I agree with. He said that one of the one of the greatest obstacles to the understanding of the Word of God is an obstinate little monster known as the preconceived idea. Don't you agree with that? Isn't it natural, beloved, for us all? I know it is with me, and I have to keep checking myself. It's so natural for us all to search the scriptures to confirm our views. (laughs) And that is not the reason we should search the scriptures. We should search the scriptures in order to find our views from that book and always bow before him and say, Lord, I believe. Now do you have Ephesians 5? It took you a long while to find it, didn't it? Ephesians 5, please. And I'm going to read to you from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot, nor wrinkle, nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, This is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the Church. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence the husband. Now, this passage centers around three ideas I've written on them years ago, but I've had, I hope, further light on the subject and further ideas about it, which I hope may prove a blessing to you. The three ideas that uh, lie at the center of this passage are the church, the bride, and the body. Now, we're going to deal with these three in that order. First, the church. It speaks about the church. And then the bride, and I believe it speaks about the bride. And the body, and it certainly speaks about the body. Let's deal first with the church. Beloved, I am constantly amazed. And I say this, I hope, with warmth, because I've said it before, I've said it again and again, and still I see what I'm certain is at least an inaccuracy in the language of many, many of our grace people, even our grace teachers. And that is the way in which they use this word or this term, the church. I believe it's often carelessly used. Now, I doubt whether there are any here that don't know what the word church, the Greek is ecclesia, means. The ecclesia of God, the church, is simply a called-out company, a called-out assembly. A church can be any called-out assembly, and in the scriptures it is just about any called-out assembly. But God's church, of course, is his called out assembly. Now, this word church is not a dispensational word. Our beloved, now long gone brother, Schofield, Dr. Schofield, seemed to think it was a dispensational word. It is not a dispensational word. It is an interdispensational word. God has always had His church. His people called out from the world to Himself. In Matthew 7, I beg your pardon, in Acts 7:38, Israel is called the church, the church in the wilderness. Israel was God's called out people then. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17? The church was evidently in existence when our Lord was on earth. For he said, if your brother trespass against you, go talk to him about it, privately. If he won't listen, bring one or two others and talk with them again. Then if he won't listen, tell it to the church. The church was in existence then. Certainly the church was in existence at Pentecost. You don't read anything about what so many people talk about that the church had its birthday, its beginning at Pentecost. Where does it say that? Turn, please, to Acts 2 and uh, verse 41. Here I simply read, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. doesn't say anything new was begun. It says that 3,000 were added to those already saved. Now then, in verse 47, the end of the verse, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we put those two verses together and it's evident that the church was already in existence. God was simply adding to the church those who should be saved. Then, of course, you'll remember Paul's word in Galatians 1.13. He said, beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. So this is for our own sakes the acts two people would of course agree to this anyway but this is to show us that the church was in existence before Paul was saved the church was he persecuted it he says that also in 1 Corinthians 15:9 I'm not worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God so the church was in existence before Paul and you'll remember the Lord's word to the apostles especially uh, having to do with Peter in Matthew 16 what is it 16 to 18 or somewhere thereabout? you remember Peter said thou art the Christ the Messiah the anointed one the king thou art the Christ the son of the living God and the Lord Jesus said on this rock I will build my church. So the messianic church, which is not the church of today, the messianic church is to be built on Christ as Israel's Messiah. Now I'm saying all of that only to show that the term church is not a dispensational term. It has to do with God's people down through the ages. So I hope, I sincerely hope, if you've been a little sleepy until now, that you'll wake up wide and remember this and never forget it. Do not distinguish between Israel and the church. That's where some anti-dispensationalist got Dr. Schofield. That's where they caught him. Don't distinguish between Israel and the church. Israel was the church back there. Distinguish between the church of that day and the church of this day. Distinguish between the kingdom of heaven and the body of Christ. But the church always has been in existence. And by the way, that teaches us a lesson. It is so important to distinguish between the things that differ. But it is also important to notice the connections God didn't have a hundred different little programs as I've gathered from some who can only see distinctions and never connections. He had one great program that the center of it is course, of course, lay the secret and the body of Christ, the church of today. But God had one great purpose, a two-fold purpose, but Uh, that purpose has been gradually unfolded and it is wonderful beyond measure to see the grand sweep, the development of this wonderful program of God and to be able to look back now and say, isn't it wonderful? He had it in mind all the while. He had it in mind from ages past. It is indeed the eternal purpose of God now then it is wonderful to know that Abraham Isaac, Jacob Moses, David Daniel, that all these were the people of God and we're the people of God we have something in common don't we there is a very very wonderful connection there, oh their program was different, they belonged to a different group in God's plan but nevertheless they were God's people then and we are God's people now and it be, will be wonderful indeed in the ages to come to rejoice that God in every age has taken out of this world those whom he has chosen for himself now i say the another word that certainly lies at the heart to me certainly lies at the heart of this passage, is the question, or is the term, the bride. Now I know that the word bride is not found in this passage, but it seems to me that it would take some straining of some very clear scripture to divest it of that thought. But let's not get ahead of ourselves Let's go back, please, first to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, uh, verse 29. Now, you'll remember the story here. Uh, They had been coming to John, and they said, John, everybody's going after Christ now. (laughs) They're all going after him. He's the one that you were uh, testifying to at Jordan. Now everybody's flocking after him. And John said, that's wonderful. The 27th verse, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. I'm his herald. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who standeth uh, and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. I'm going to be saying something about this later. But surely Christ is presented here, is he not, as a bridegroom. I believe, as I've said, that in Ephesians 25 it would take some forcing, some straining to divest that passage of the thought of a bride and bridegroom. Now may I say this here before we, uh, I might pass it and forget it, that this question of who is the bride? <laughs> Israel, that is, redeemed Israel or some segment of redeemed Israel or the church of today. This has been a question not merely within the so-called grace movement or among dispensationalists, let me say, or between grace people and others. This has been a question between Bible believers down through centuries of time. All you have to do is read a few commentaries on this passage and you know that. But I think it's something like the baptism question. People have uh, for centuries uh, debated the question of who should be baptized and how. Should it be little children or should it be adults who have come to the age where they can repent or believe or whatever? Who? Who should be baptized? And how should they be baptized? by a little few drops of water or by pouring or by immersion and they have spent centuries arguing the who and the how and they have forgotten completely to ask a previous question is baptism in order at all? (laughs) Is baptism in order for today and if not Why spend all that time on the who and the how, you see? We don't even have to go into that, do we? Now, it is something like that, it seems to me, with this question of the bride. Who is the bride? Redeemed Israel of the future? Some segment of redeemed Israel? The church of today? Today, I think we have bypassed a more basic question bypassed a previous question. Have we perhaps been making a dispensational term again out of an interdispensational one? Now that's what we want to see tonight. I thought I'd let you in on the secret before we get there so you'll know better what I'm driving at. Now let's go back to the beginning. Turn with me please to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, uh, the 32nd verse, I read these words. I'll read the 31st as well. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. You remember how the Lord had taken them by the hand taken the nation and said, come on, I'm going to get you out of all this. (laughs) Many a man has said that to many a girl, hasn't he? Come on, I'm going to get you out of all of this. God said that to Israel, and he took her by the hand, and there was a marriage ceremony. God said, you'll be very special to me. You'll be my special treasure if you obey me. That's always the relationship. We read that. In Ephesians 5, between the husband and the wife, and they made a covenant that day. And Israel said, All that the Lord God has spoken, we will do. But he said, You broke that covenant. Israel was untrue to her husband. She broke the covenant, and she went after other gods. She broke the very first part of that marriage contract let's look please at the book of Hosea that also is in the so called Old Testament it is in the Old Testament Ezekiel, Daniel Hosea chapter 2 first go to chapter 1 verse 9 here a child was born a symbolic child Then said God, verse 9, Call his name lo Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. That's what he said about Israel. Not my people. Some people, if you will excuse me for this, I I may... uh, it may uh, contradict something that you had previously been thinking. They were so tickled when Israel won that six day war and they said, Oh, it shows God is with his people. They're not his people now. They've been cast away for years. Loamy, says, Corner Loami. She's not mine. Not mine. <clears throat> and in the second chapter and in much of the uh, prophetic word, he shows how they went like a harlot after other uh, lovers and he says here take the bill of your mother's divorcement she's not mine I don't want her she's not mine and beloved there's been a lot of questions asked about divorce I don't know whether you've ever noticed it but in Paul's epistles you will find no ground for getting a divorce did you ever think of that no ground If my wife, I don't have one now, but if I had one and she were unfaithful to me, God would say, deal with her in grace. And if she'll come back, take her back. Forgive her as God has forgiven you. But you remember when the Lord was on earth, that was different. There was then one ground for getting a divorce. That was adultery. And that fit dispensationally. Remember, God was about to divorce his people. He was about to give her a bill of divorcement and say, You're not mine. And he was to cast her out and she was to be scattered over the face of the earth. Well, so much for Israel as the wife of Jehovah who had broken that covenant. Turn please to Jeremiah chapter 3 now. And you'll see what the future holds in store for her. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 1. They say, If a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, you've been a harlot gone after many lovers, and yet, oh, I want you back. I've heard many, heard and read where many a woman has said that about her husband. He is a wicked man. He's gone out with other women and Oh, but I love him. I want him back. And that seems to be in the nature of the woman. But how many men have done that? <laughs> Very few. But God's going to do it. Jehovah's going to do it. you played the harlot with many lovers, and yet, oh, come back to me. Look, please, at the same chapter, verse, uh, verse 20. Verse 20 to 22. Uh, Surely, as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. A voice was heard upon the high place. You know what the high places were, don't you? They were those wicked places where idolatry was practiced. But now Israel had had her fill of it, and When this is fulfilled, we'll have her fill of all her idolatry, spiritual idolatry. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way and have forgotten Jehovah their God. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Israel plea or God pleading with Israel Come back to me, come back to me I love you. Turn back please to Isaiah chapter fifty four. Isaiah fifty four and the sixth and seventh verses for the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. And the wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies shall I gather thee. How beautiful. Now there's one question, though. Dr. Schofield says, and I'll give you the page now, if you have an old Schofield Bible, page 1348. 1348, Dr. Schofield says at the end of note number one, a forgiven and restored wife could not be called either a virgin or a bride. But here I'm afraid Dr. Schofield was wrong and he limited the infinite... infinite, says somebody want to get me some nice fresh water? Where's my Oglesby friend? I don't often need it, but there she is, right on the spot. I think Dr. Schofield was wrong here, and he limited the grace of God. For Israel will be restored, as both a bride and a virgin. Remember, this will be a different generation in Israel. Israel so that it could be both a bride and a virgin. Isaiah 62, please. Isaiah 62 and verse 5. 62, verse 5. For as a young man marrieth a virgin. Now remember what picture we just saw? The bride was spent and withered and gone. She was done. Her life of debauchery and treachery. And yet Jehovah says, Oh, I want you. Come back to me. (laughs) Now in 62 5 of Isaiah, as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. There's going to be joy and a marriage joy, if you please, in all the land. And as a bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride. Show shall thy God rejoice over thee. And the, the second of Joel, please. Joel chapter 2. <coughs> Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. <coughs> chapter 2, verse 16. <coughs> Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. <coughs> Assembly elders gather the children and those that suck the breasts let the bridegroom go forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet there's going to be a wedding verse 27 and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed now, with all this in mind, now put yourself in that audience in John 3, where they're telling John the Baptist, remember what he had been doing, calling Israel back to repentance. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was the forerunner of the Messiah. <clears throat> and they complained to John. Huh. As many a devotee of a person has done, he said that you're not getting enough glory. <laughs> They're all following him now. They're all running after him. John says, "Wonderful! Didn't I tell you that? That's what I want. He's the bridegroom. Thank you so much. You're a he's the bridegroom. I'm not. I told you I was not the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom." and I'm just a friend of the bridegroom he was trying to make a match if you please he was trying to get Israel to fall in love with Christ and here it looked like something was starting all thousands thousands they went after Christ he couldn't even Christ and here it looked like something was starting all thousands thousands they went after Christ He couldn't even stand on the shore. The crowds are so great he had to get a boat and go out into the water on a boat and talk to them from there. John says, oh, good, good. This is a wonderful match. This is wonderful. He didn't know. He thought that was the beginning of it. But the point is, he rejoiced in it. He was glad about it. Now, certainly the Lord Jesus was known as the bridegroom. <clears throat> thank you for your patience and he presented himself as the bridegroom when he was on earth what about the parable of the marriage supper what about the, uh, the ten virgins <clears throat> what about his own statement will the children of the bride chamber mourn when the bridegroom is with them they were finding fault because the disciples were eating and drinking and they didn't fast enough to suit them well he said the bridegroom is with them the children of the bride chamber the ones that are sort of running the, the getting the marriage plans together or well, they ought to be rejoicing shouldn't they the bridegroom is with them <clears throat> now then let's go now to the epistles of paul will you turn again to ephesians 5 Ephesians chapter 5. Now, beloved, I'm going to ask uh, each one of you, it may be a little harder for some than for others. Perhaps in your mind has been that question which so long, I must say, was in my own mind. Who's the bride? Israel or the church of today? See? And I dawned on me, oh, I used to hear this debated by Dr. Wertheimer and Ironside and Newell and these men. And they never seem to get anywhere, just like they never get anywhere who argue how do you baptize whom, you see. There's a previous question. And I hope that you have been asking yourself, as I used to ask myself, who's the bride, will ask this previous question have we been making a dispensational term out of an interdispensational law? Now, we saw the bridegroom certainly referred to in the, prophet, in the prophetic word, did we not? We see the bridegroom referred to in the record of our Lord's earthly ministry, and I must say that as I used to listen to these men talk about both sides, I was greatly confused. I never got any light on it. I'd read that part in John. He says that Christ is the bridegroom, and the prophets say that Jehovah is the bridegroom of redeemed Israel. And yet when I read this in Ephesians 5, I can't get away from it. Let's just read verse 25 and 6 and 7. Husbands, what's that next word? Oh, you don't have to hesitate. This is school here. We play school in these meetings. Husbands, what? This has something to do about love, doesn't it? (laughs) Love and courtship, if you please. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ, what did he do to the church? He loved it. And he gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now the word bride and bridegroom is not there but the word trinity is not in the whole Bible. Do you believe in the trinity? Yes or no? Yes, of course you do. And there are many words not found in the Bible while nevertheless the truth is found there. And I can see nothing but a Well, I can see more than, but I I can't get away from the love story here. He loved the church. He wanted her for himself. He died to have her. He was going to glorify her. Now then, that is so of the church of today just as well as it is so of Israel, is it not? I I can see it no other way. Maybe during the week some of you will be able... To convince me back again but I'm afraid it would have to be back to my former confusion <laughs> because this seems to make simple sense to me. Uh, we haven't finished yet but so far don't we have to say that both of them are love stories they're pictures of love and of marriage uh, and this agrees with uh, Paul's epistles in general what does he say in, in uh, Romans 7 4 Ye are dead to the law that ye might be married to another. Who's the other? Well, I'm sure nobody questions. Christ is the other one. You've become dead to the law that you might be married to Christ. Second Corinthians the eleventh chapter and the second verse, you know that by heart. I'm jealous over you. Jealous for Christ's sake. For I've espoused you to one husband. I've betrothed you. I've I've made you promise that you'll belong to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I can't see anything else but that love story there, that love symbolism. Then of course you have it again here. Now I realize that this also speaks Of the body. There you go on in the fifth chapter here. Says a man loves his wife. He loves himself. Oh true. The truth of the body is here too. We're coming to that in a moment. But don't use one to cancel out the other. That's like saying we aren't a temple. Because we're a body. We're not a body. Because we're an army. We're not an army of soldiers. (coughs) Pardon me. Because we're a garden. We're not a garden because we're ambassadors. Oh, you don't use one to cancel out the other. Both, <coughs> pardon me, the bride and the body are pictures of the relationship. <coughs> That's what I call my tired call. But I'm not that tired yet. I'm not too Just a few moments. <coughs> now then don't you see the analogy Paul like John was rejoicing John says oh I, I want Israel to fall in love with Christ I want to see a marriage here I want to see them united again or he didn't say again and the scriptures don't I want to see them united as a virgin as a as a new bride to Christ. <clears throat> And Paul says, I've betrothed you to Christ. I'm jealous over you. (coughs) I want to see you really love Christ. Now there is an objection that may seem more pertinent here, more valid. And that is that he goes on and he talks about the body and has a good deal to say about the body. But, beloved, that seems to me to be so simply answered. Turn with me to Genesis 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2. Now, Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. There you read a very significant opening verse. In the beginning, <coughs> God. <coughs> well, I'll be all right, don't you worry. In the beginning, God created what? Oh, not the universe? Why didn't he say the universe? Well, because he had a different plan for heaven and had a a distinctive plan for the earth. And he didn't say one word about that secret plan, but we now know he had that in mind. We now know that he was careful to word it just as he did. Now, the second chapter, please. Here we come to the bride and the body. Verse uh, 21 of chapter 2. I beg your pardon, I'm in the first chapter here. Chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof instead. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her to Adam. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Did it ever occur to you that Paul uses that almost, that exact terminology practically quotes it from Genesis here in Ephesians 5? Let's look at it. <clears throat> Verse 30, for we are members of his body. Now that's what Adam said about his bride, right? He said we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones <clears throat> for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they two shall be one flesh what i'm getting is a uh, getting at is this <clears throat> i believe it is not scriptural not certainly not completely scriptural not exactly scriptural to say that redeemed Israel is the bride, or that the church of today is the bride, but I believe with all my heart that all whom Christ loved, for whom he gave himself in death, and who will someday be glorified because he died for them, I believe we all belong to the bride. I believe that this is the symbolism that is so simple if we would only take it in its simplicity there wouldn't be a great problem about it. He loved her, he wanted her for himself, he died to have her and he's going to glorify her. Isn't that true of every saint who ever lived in whatever age? I wanted to talk about the body too. Uh, Maybe if you'll let me speak next year, I can come back to that. But just one more thing about the bride, and that is found in Revelation. Let's turn to Revelation, please. The book of Revelation and uh, chapter 21. Chapter 21 of Revelation and uh, first verse 2. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. didn't say, I see it on earth. I saw it coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 9, And there came a unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and he talked with me saying come hither and I will show thee the bride the lamb's wife and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city the holy Jerusalem Descending out of heaven from God. Now, beloved, is it not true that Genesis is the seed plot of the whole Bible? I think everybody here would agree with me on that. And I rather think the great majority of you would agree that Revelation is the complement to Genesis. In Genesis, we have Satan's appearance in the Word. In Revelation, we have Satan's final do. In Genesis, we have (coughs) the entrance of sin. In Revelation, we have (coughs) the final judgment of sin. Does this bother you too much? All right, I'm through soon. In Genesis, you have the curse pronounced. In Revelation, you have the curse removed. In Genesis, you have the tree of life denied to man. In Revelation, you have the tree of life restored, and uh, its leaves are used for the healing of the nation. In Genesis, you have the marriage, the typical marriage of the first Adam, in Revelation you have the marriage of the last Adam now beloved with this strong tie between Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5 so that concerning the church of today Paul practically quotes Genesis 2 realizing that we have here in Ephesians 5 a symbol of love and marriage as it is first given to us in Genesis 2. Is it possible that the church, the body of Christ, is nowhere to be found in Revelation? This is another problem that always troubled me. It would seem passing strange to me if it were not. Now I agree that the second and third chapters certainly do not speak of the body of Christ. I agree that very largely revelation is taken up with Israel and the great tribulation. But there are those last couple of chapters where God heads up everything finally uh, or begins to head it up. In the Lord Jesus Christ, and finally heads it up too in Christ. And it is here that he says, I'm going to show you the bride, the lamb's wife, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Can you tell me where you first read about this heavenly Jerusalem? In the law? In the prophets, in the Gospels, you read about it in the Galatians, didn't you? In the end of the third chapter where it is the Apostle Paul who said, The Jerusalem which is on earth is in bondage with her children until now. But the Jerusalem which is above is what? Is free." and is the mother of us all. And he's writing to those who says, you did worship to those who were no gods, you were heathen idolaters, you were Gentile. <laughs> now, with that in view, and in view of the fact that when we come to Hebrews, <laughs> the writer says, wasn't I kind to you there, brother? Wasn't that sweet of me? In Hebrews 12, the writer says to the Hebrew believers of that day who now were left dangling, as it were, ye are come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, you see. Now it would seem strange with all of that in view if the bride, the lamb's wife, did not include, I don't say is, remember that, did not include we didn't he love us, didn't he want us for himself? Didn't he die for us? Who's the center of that great city, the heavenly Jerusalem? Who is this light? Christ, isn't that true? If Christ the head is there, do you mean the body is somehow excluded? The head is there, but not the members of the body in that book which gathers everything finally to a head? <coughs> oh no. I believe with all my heart that we are part of that new... Isn't it interesting, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, what Brother Floyd Baker said last night, that the body and and Israel and the Gentiles maintain their identity for ages to come. I don't know whether I dare say forever or not, I don't know that that's revealed. But they're all together there in the New Jerusalem. Israel is there. The nations are there. They eat of the leaves of the of the tree of life. You mean we're not there? With Christ in the where he is the center of the glory of everything. And with all this in view, it is not one bit strange to me that in twenty two of Revelation. Verse seventeen I should read these marvelous words twenty two seventeen <clears throat> and the spirit and the bride say come. <clears throat> now remember, this is just about the last word of the Bible. Do you mean that we in all this great chorus of testimony to the glory of the lamb do you mean that we the members of the body would not be included among those who say to those who get that last call oh come that is that would be our feeling and desire for them the spirit and the bride I believe it's all inclusive the universal true church come and let him that hear us say come and let him that is athirst come and whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely oh what a beautiful beautiful closing invitation in the word of god there's a brother in philadelphia he's gone to be with the lord but he was a very dear friend of mine he was rather extreme in his dispensationalism but we were friends very good friends and he was always very gracious in his criticisms of what I wrote or what I said then in the Philadelphia area over the air. And he'd keep sending me a booklet entitled The Bride, The Lamb's Wife. <clears throat> well, I had read the book several times. I had studied it. He'd never say anything. He'd just send me that book. John Kessler, some of you may know him. You know, remember him, Brother Wynn. John Kessler, dear brother, and John Kessler, dear brother, Stam, sending you a copy of The Bride, the Lamb's Wife. Well, fine, John, I've read this several times, and I've gotten it from you six times. I guess he was a psychologist at heart, and he was hoping that someday I would really take that thing down and really study it. But I have done it. But this one time, it really did speak to me. It really spoke to me without even opening the covers. I thought, isn't that strange? I've never seen this before. The bride, whose wife? The lamb's wife. Not the king's wife. (laughs) The lamb's wife. Oh, I said, now another light goes on. How far back in the Bible do you have to go to find the symbolism of the lamb? You go back to Genesis 4, don't you? Abel was a keeper of sheep, and he offered of the firstlings of his flock to the Lord. Then you have it again with Abram and Isaac. The Lord himself shall provide uh, an offering, and there was that lamb, have the Passover lamb, Isaiah 53, and uh, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And then I go to Paul's epistles. What is this that he writes to Gentiles? He says you are Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols? And he writes to these, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, that Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Isn't that beautiful? Christ, our Passover, I thought we didn't have, the, oh, now just a minute. All these things happened unto them, for example. All of these things were typical of the great truths that were to come. I don't mean typical of the mystery, but I'll tell you this. You can look back at these types and realize he never even said that one of them even was a type. He didn't say anything about the mystery. He didn't say anything about the finished work of Christ or the... That everything would be grace. He never said anything about that. Never said anything about one loving the other and wanting him as a bride for himself and that they too would be one body. Paul doesn't even mention the word body uh, uh, mystery, you know, until he gets to the body there in, in Ephesians 5. But uh, these were all lessons for us, and he says, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Then in 1 Peter, what is it, 1, 18 and 19, we're redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. I know he's writing this to the diaspora, the Jewish people that were scattered. But he said, we are redeemed. They've learned something he didn't know at Pentecost. They've learned something now through Paul that they didn't, Peter didn't preach at Pentecost. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Well, thank the Lord. He's the bride, or we're the bride, all believers, of the Lamb. The Lamb who died for all who ever were to accept Christ as Savior. And isn't it wonderful, beloved, where we come to the book of revelation i don't have time even to turn to it but uh, john is told oh yes somebody has the authority to open that that's that book which i take it is the title deed to the universe and john looked around he says i saw and in the midst in the midst in the midst of everything a lamb looking as if it had been slain <laughs> And there you have that great song to him. To the land that was slain, be glory and honor, honor and dominion and power and so on. All the glory must go to him. And isn't it wonderful, beloved, that someday in the ages to come, the great millions who have ever lived, all that have ever been redeemed, at the center of everything will be. Not Mussolini or Hitler or... Stalin, or any of these men that would step on the lives of thousands of others to get the glory themselves. But to the one who gave up his glory and stooped to the cross and died in agony and disgrace and shame for sins he never committed, oh, I'm so glad he deserves the glory, does he not? I'm so glad he's going to get it. Now, if you haven't agreed with this, at least there may be a third view for you to think over. I always try to avoid trying to force anything. If we say, as Dr. Schofield says, that the church of today is the bride, what am I going to do with John 3? I have to force it to make it something else. If I say that redeemed Israel is the bride, what am I going to do with Ephesians 5? I have to force what to me seems like very simple language and make it mean something else now I can look and I can say oh thank God I, I I believe I see it it seems to me very simple and clear though I may not have stated it I've stated it with difficulty anyway but I believe it seems very clear to me he loved us he wanted us for himself he died for us and someday he's going to glorify us Now I spoke about the church and the bride I didn't get a chance to get to the body Oh, that's the most glorious of all. Oh, what a blessed truth. That is a dispensational term. There can be no question about that because as enemies, Jews and Gentiles reconciled to God in one body and to be reconciled, Israel had to be alienated first and now they're being reconciled in one body. I'm sorry if I didn't do as well as I should have or could have but I did my best, I hope, and I pray that The Lord will bless this meditation to your hearts and perhaps give you a great blessing even in the days to come through it. Thank you, dear brethren.